what's up everybody um listen this quarantine thing (laughs) is starting to get to me it really is starting to get to me um and so i'm trying to find new ways to be creative to you know bring some newness into my life because every day feeling the same is not good for my mental health and so one of the ways that i am kind of fostering this creativity is through reading stories that inspire me um, on air. I'm so inspired by LeVar Burton Reads, the podcast, and LeVar Burton in general. Like, he is uh, everything. I love the way he, he reads and kind of the effects and just the experience. Like, I truly get lost in the stories. And so I wanted to do that for educators and for teachers and for people who just love really good stories. So we are going to start that today. Um, I am reading a story called Doing Homework with Robert by Evelyn Lee. And just based off the title, if you think you know what's going to happen, I kind of want you to just to sit back and to listen um, and to allow yourself to get lost. There's a couple twists and turns in here that I was not ready for. Um, the symbolism in this story is so off the charts, y'all. <laughs> I mean, I literally read this so many times and I've listened to it so many times now. Um, and I hear and I notice something new every single time. And I that is just grade A writing. So shout out to Evelyn. After the reading of the story, I want you to stick around because... I have a one-on-one conversation with the one and only Evelyn Lee. Um, And we sat down, we talked about the symbolism of the story. We talked about self-esteem. We talked about violence. um, And we talked about what it means to be a writer today. So please stick around after the story to hear that interview. So with that, sit back, grab your drink of choice, relax, and let's get ready to listen to Doing Homework with Robert by Evelyn Lee. Let's get it. I drove back home because I had nowhere else to go. I didn't park on the street. Why get the neighbors talking? I sat in the cab with the engine off and let my eyes adjust to the dark. When I could make out each individual fishing rod on the far wall, I got out. Without switching on the lights, I walked through the garage towards the kitchen, dumping some files into the big fish tank we'd never gotten around to throwing out. The kitchen's decor was tired like me. The world looks different when you've been fired. Instead of happiness and good meals, all I saw was the wear and tear on the hinges of the cabinets and how the paint was peeling off the window frames. Well, there'd be time enough to do repairs. I was lucky not to be looking at assault charges. I headed over to the refrigerator to get a beer. Ann was out with the boys at the championship game. That's when I saw the note. 
I lifted it out from under the football magnet to read Anne's defiantly legible handwriting. My own handwriting always looked ignorant and spiky next to hers. Robert didn't make it home in time for the game. Find out what's up. Then please help him with his homework. There's a pizza in the freezer. See you later. Love, Anne. Please and homework have been both underlined twice, but not the word love. I should have called my wife, told her I'd beaten up my supervisor for calling me stupid. Then she'd have asked a friend to take Sam to the game. Championship or no championship game, there was no way my wife would have left me alone to do homework with Robert. I wasn't in the mood for troubled teen time. At 14, Robert was taller than me, but his muscles were still boy soft. Even though he didn't have my build, he did have my genes. Just like me, if he wanted to read anything, he had to run his finger along the bottom of every word. It killed me to have to help him with his homework. I hated to hear him read out loud, having to watch him stumble when he reached that space between words. Then came the lip licking. I don't think he did it on purpose, but I reckon that the tongue flicks helped him keep track of the syllables. But watching his tongue flick, seeing his shoulders go all hunched and his lips get wet, well, it was torture for us both. I didn't want to be doing homework with Robert. I crumpled up the note, put it in my jacket pocket, and got out of bud. Maybe I could just leave the house now. Maybe that would be best for everyone. Too bad I had a problem all my life about being called stupid. But shoving my supervisor's face into the wall and kneeing him in the balls had not been smart. My crew had told the boss that the guy had it coming. I took out a second can and made my way down the hall to the boys' room. Robert was flat out on his bed and his sneakers were still on. His forearm was over his pillow, his pillow over his eyes. His side of the room was dark, with posters of Jay-Z and Kanye West. His brother Sam's side was shiny, with shelves of sports trophies. I put the can of beer down on Robert's dresser and sat down on his bed. Hey, I said, shaking his foot. You know the rules, no shoes on the bed. Robert grunted and rolled away to face the wall. We both ignored the fact that he was crying. He must not have heard me come home. I leaned down to pull him up and into a headlock. The skin on the back of his neck smelled bitter. I missed his little boy smell. We wrestled on the bed for a while until he started getting serious about knocking me off. This pissed me off, so to end it, I pulled his head close to my lips. Mom says you need help with your homework. He got off the bed fast by falling to his knees onto the floor. Dad, he said, flicking his black bangs out of his eyes. Forget it. Fine by me, I said, getting up and retrieving my beer from his bureau. From his position on all fours on the floor, I could see his relief. He got up and went down the hall towards the kitchen ahead of me, his head topping the rows of picture frames that Anne had hung over the years. The annual school photos and the family fishing trips all around the Chesapeake. I stopped by my favorite photo and shrunk Robert back to his five-year-old self standing on a dock beside the bay. His eyes had been the size of chestnuts as he'd watch Anne slide a hook under the surface of a worm's skin. He'd even taken a step back, a little afraid, as the worm wriggled in the air. Sam was rolling on the wooden boards between Anne's legs like a puppy. She had handed Robert the rod, 
which he'd taken with puffed-up pride. When a fish took the hook, the line zigged, then zagged away from the dock. Reel it in, reel it in, Ann and I shouted. The boy had almost quit breathing. He was so shocked by the thought of catching his first fish. Sam, of course, was beside himself. He always hated not being a part of the action. He went to try to pull the rod out of Robert's hands. But Anne, as always, had known exactly what to do to make this situation work out. Sam! Sam! Go grab the bucket! Grab the bucket! Sam had run for the orange bucket. Out of the water, the fish had flashed on the hook like a small piece of lightning between the four of us until Anne's hands caught the line. Then she showed the boys how to take out the hook and drop the small fish into Sam's bucket. I remember taking another picture of the two boys crouched over the pail, watching the fish's death dance in awe. The fish had lain at the bottom like a small silver comma. When I got to the kitchen, I watched the light of the freezer brighten the dark, dusty mustache coming in on Robert's upper lip. Why are you home so early, Dad? He asked, closing the freezer door with his knee. I saw black. I didn't appreciate his tone. I took three fast steps across the kitchen floor and Frog marched him over to the kitchen chair and forced him to sit down. The pizza box he'd been holding fell to the floor. Freezer burn fell from the box and bounced off the linoleum. I know I wasn't really mad at Robert. I was mad at my boss, at the world. I knew I was acting stupid because I was stupid. There was no reason to keep him down in the chair. I knew better than to hurt him. I knew I should just let him go, say I was sorry, pick up the pizza box, but I didn't. Like a fish pulled too fast out of water, Robert sat in the chair, stunned. His mouth opened and shut. No words came out. He was even more frightened of me than I've been of my old man when I screwed up. But then he started to wriggle and thrash in my grip, hoping for escape. That's when I saw it, his school knapsack under the kitchen table. He stopped moving. He didn't want me opening his bag. It was hard to open it one-handed. But I did it, dumping out the contents onto the kitchen table. And there it was, his American history test, flagged with a giant F and a note stapled to it, asking for an emergency conference. Retaking his test had been his last chance. It was dark in the kitchen now. The sun had finished setting. Defeated by the evidence of his own failure, Robert didn't need me to hold on to him anymore. I let go of his wrist and got out and turned on the lights. I opened the refrigerator, took my third beer, and sat back down. I could see Robert four years from now, the sweat snaking down his skinny arm a builder's belt hanging off his hips, his brown arm next to the college pale arms of the kids working summer jobs on the site. They'd be fumbling with their hammers, their nails going in at odd angles, while his, in three strikes, bit the wood flat. How could he fail this test? Did he want to grow up like me? Having to work for an asshole who had the chance to go to college? who could afford to stay neat and clean. My supervisor had been swinging his suit jacket casually over his shoulder, hooked 
on a single finger when he'd called me a stupid, illiterate redneck. That's when my hands did the talking for me. Anne kept telling me that Robert was a smart kid. He's a good kid and he loves you. She said this to me over and over again. Don't tell me how to raise our son. That's what I told her last time I'd done homework with Robert, when I was rebuckling my belt. She stared us all down at the last parent-teacher conference. Since when was telling someone they're stupid made them smart? I looked at Robert. He wouldn't look at me. This was not the son I wanted to have. A teen slumped over in his chair. Where had the five-year-old boy gone who lit up our lives with laughter and joy? Dad, you just don't get it, do you? Get what? He was looking at me with defiance. You think I want to be like you? When had I stopped looking for the good in him? This boy with strong hands. Hands that had lifted him up into any tree, over any rock. Hands that could take apart a car engine and put it back together by feel alone. I looked down at his hands. He had Anne's hands. Hands I hadn't held in mine in over eight years. Not since together we'd emptied out the water in the aquarium into the bathtub. The glass had gone all green, and Robert had been worried the fish couldn't breathe, and Anne wasn't strong enough to lift the tank up on her own. We'd gotten the fish to help Robert sleep at night. School had been bad for him from the get-go. Robert had talked to me as we carried the aquarium all the way down the hall to the bathroom. How he thought there might be something wrong with the water but that we could fix it, right? I don't remember where Sam was, nor Anne, but they hadn't seen what had happened next. How the fish set free in the tub. Well, when it came time to put them back in the tank, they hadn't moved. They had the whole tub to swim in and time to do it as we scrubbed the glass clean, but instead they stayed clumped together, all at one end, scared small. Robert had held my hand while pointing with his other inside. Robert had held my hand while pointing with his other at the site. Dad, look, it's like the water has glass walls. Glass walls in the water. All his life I wanted to hold him, hold him close, and then place him down gently on a different path. The one his younger brother walked, where book learning came easy, but I couldn't. Robert was staring at his hands on the table, not at me. The hands that he could use to thread a worm onto a hook in seconds, but not to hold a pen properly or write a word clearly. I got up and picked up the pizza box from the floor, turned on the oven. I didn't want to fight to get him to read or to use my belt. When the oven got hot, I opened it up to put in the pizza. Inside the oven's black belly, all I saw was a wall of darkness, the same wall of black that had come down over the pages of every test I'd ever taken in school, a black void that stayed black until the second a teacher yelled, pencils down, leaving me to face the consequences. Every teacher I'd ever had called me stupid and that I left my test blank on purpose. I did not get myself another beer. I sat back down at the kitchen table, picking up his history book from the floor. I put it on top of the test. 
I opened it up and looked down at the columns of words, at our truth, at the words that swam free in front of both of our eyes. I'm home early because I got fired. Shit. Dad, said my son, what are we going to do? I don't know. Does mom know? No. We both sat at the kitchen table and felt the oven warm the room. What's mom going to say? Your mom is going to say telling people they're stupid doesn't make them smart. Robert got up to get the plates, two glasses, a knife, and the napkins we needed. Then he opened the oven, sliding the pizza out onto a breadboard, which he brought over to the table. Robert, I said, shut up, Dad. He didn't flinch when I pulled his head over to my shoulder and kissed the top of his hair. He smelled both sweet and sour. There had to be a way to land this fish, even if it lasted forever. This dance of letters where words flashed and spun and flipped away, always refusing to be hooked into meaning. This moment was my fault. I let every single person in my life who called me stupid, my father, my boss, hell, I'd even let one of Robert's teachers put up more walls. Was this really how I wanted us both to live, stunned in the corner of the bathtub? I sat, eating pizza with my oldest boy, waiting for Ann and Sam to get back from the game. It was as good a time and place as any to begin to figure out how to swim through glass walls. It was time to do my homework with Robert. The end. I love that story. I hope y'all did as well. Um, We're about to jump right into the interview with Evelyn Lee. Uh, She is a former CBS News producer currently living in London. Over the years, she has produced television segments for 60 Minutes in New York and then for the BBC in London. Her broadcast work has received an Emmy and numerous Writer Guild awards. Her poem, essays, her poems, essays, and stories have been published in over 40 literary magazines and anthologies. Sit back and relax and let's listen to the interview with Evelyn Lee. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Good Trouble Media. Um, This is exciting because I'm doing my first interview um, and my first interview with an author after you guys just heard um, my reading and interpretation of doing homework with Robert um, by the one and only Evelyn Lee. And so I have Evelyn Lee here with me today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. No problem. Uh, Can you tell us where you are? uh... So I'm currently in London in lockdown. So we're we're all home. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I guess there is some sort of like, you know, uh, perk to the lockdowns and the because you get a little bit more time to do things. And I know for me, I was like, I want to be more creative in this space. So yeah. I, I was like, I'm really interested in like audiobook narration. And so I just sort of put this call out and um, so many stories came in, but this story really um, 
kind of stuck with me and I and I I know you haven't heard my reading and interpretation yet I, I can't wait yeah. um, but I can't wait to send it to you um, but I would just love to just start off by you know knowing what was the inspiration behind writing uh, doing homework with Robert um, so I come from a long line of, uh, of family members with dyslexia. I mean, I mm. think generations and generations of it. And uh, my daughter uh, has dyslexia and had to go to a specialist school and I had to pull her out of mainstream and put her back. And I think my brother was severely <laughs> dyslexic. I'm, I'm dyslexic, but it wasn't diagnosed because girls, they think don't have it, but that's not true. And wow. what, what I think the real reason... There's a lot of violence that comes with unexpressed or um, unexpressed or unexpressible problems in education. Mm -hmm. And when you are diagnosed as learning different or with a learning different style, uh, you know, we're, we're making some progress in it, but not enough. And people still call each other stupid. For people who struggle to be seen as smart, to be called stupid can do undo lifetime damage mm -hmm. that I think people are pretty unconscious of. I, I mean, I think the numbers for people in prison with dyslexia, it's like 80%. It's wow. really high. Yeah. It's really high. So it, the, the, I'd been working on a novel for ages and this, this is just my character. And I, I had been really trying to figure out why he, what was not working for him. And so I, it just occurred to me, you know, the story came to me about him doing homework with his son, but recognizing in his son the same problem that he had, yeah. and then having to make a choice about how to handle it. And, and maybe seeing himself as a child for the first time, and maybe being kind to himself for the first time about it. And because I, I, yes, I think there's a cycle of violence that comes with learning difficulties that people don't discuss. I, I, that's been my, as a news journalist, that's what I would say. Yeah. So there's so much there. Um, I have so many questions. I think one that really comes to mind is, you know, you talked about, you know, being called stupid, right? And I think there are a lot of different words that you can use, but I think that, you know, that is a very simple word that kind of gets tossed around a lot in a way that, uh, where people may say it's not that big of a deal um, or it's not that, um, you know, it's just a name, right? Yeah. Um, I would love to just know kind of what was your thought process and sort of de de determining how this cycle of violence would play out in the story um, kind of implicitly or explicitly. And so, um, so it was, yeah, so it was interesting. The first, the first, one of the earlier drafts that I had done and a friend had read, she thought, uh, first of all, that the child needed to like leave the building, like, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. like, like she was like, get that kid out of there. And then it was a couple of drafts before I recognized it in the character that he had the ability to transcend himself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he he needed he needed to see the self and this is going to sound so ridiculous but in the middle of the story he opens up the oven and looks into it yes. to put in a frozen pizza yes. and I know this so I have I had my brother told me a story years ago about his life and when he'd sit down to do an exam he said it was like a black cloud mm -hmm. just came down and then for the whole time 
the exam was on, he, it was black. And then they'd say, you know, put down your pens. And then it would come up and you wouldn't have written anything. Mm. And there was never any discussion or understanding about that. And it, it occurred to me that because the characters in the situation of struggling with his son who has issues, that maybe he could understand himself. And all on the side, the character who's not in the story is the wife. And she, she's mm-hmm. the most wonderful, loving, kind, fantastic human being who's been trying to get yes. distorted. Yeah. And she's fantastic and she's so loving. And she has the key to the story was, you know, just calling somebody stupid doesn't make them smart. Yeah, yeah. And like, she says it to the principal, she says it to the teacher, she says it to the husband, but yeah. I don't think he understands it till the end of the story. Yeah, and I think with Anne, like, we never actually meet her, um, like, in real time, but we kind of see her through these flashbacks. You know, to me, she symbolized just patience and love, um, even through, like, you know, our, our first meeting of her, which was through the note on the refrigerator and so um i thought you know she had a true symbolism um you talked like this theme of like hands you know like kept coming up and i just want to make sure i have it when you said he had okay Uh, i just want to read it it said the boy with strong hands hands that had lifted up into any tree over any rock hands that could take apart a car engine and put it back together by feel alone. I looked down at his hands. He had Anne's hands, hands I hadn't held in mine in over eight years. Not since together we'd emptied out the water in the aquarium into the bathtub. Uh, oh, I love it. Uh, I just like, what was the thought process or writing process even like, you know, sort of bringing out you know, this, this symbolism of like hands and just like how characters or how this character particularly, this, their hands are, I thought kind of spoke to their uniqueness um, and how not all children are um, the same or uh, learn the same or do the same things, um, but that doesn't make them lesser. Um, yeah. I just want to know what was your thought process. Behind? So, so what I found like over the years meeting different people. Uh, so I remember one time I met this extraordinary rock climber and he was like moving across like a spider. Like he just had like this sixth sense, like his whole body, this thing. And I, I waited till, you know, we were sort of in a more private place. And I said, can I ask you if you happen to have any learning difficulties? And he said, wow, that's a weird question. He said, yeah, I'm severely dyslexic. Mm. And his parents had put him into a mountain climbing situation and he thought with his body. And it's like with an athlete, I think um, some people have extra peripheral vision. So when I would interview athletes, they had this really weird thing where they can see almost behind their shoulders without turning their heads on the baseball field. Like, so Ken Griffey Jr., like he could do this thing. And dyslexics, because they can't live in the world or the reading world isn't giving them the information that they need, they find it with their bodies. Mm. And uh, very Mm. often they're people who can build things or make things. And we're moving into a society where you're judged on your writing by your texts right away. Yes. And I actually think people are labeled stupid very quickly and unconsciously and Mm. people aren't appreciating the gifts that uh, other people have or bring to the table. And it does come through your hands you make things 
And yeah. I think for me, because my main character, because he he's a construction worker and yeah. his boss has like he's just such a dick. And so yeah. and, and his boss is such a bad guy. And but he has college smooth hands. Because that was just something I noticed over time. If you're looking at people, you can their hands show their life and their work and mm -hmm. you, you get a sense from that. Yeah, just kind of thinking about the character as well, something else that kind of came up to me, um, you talked about violence earlier. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, of, you know, sort of the violence that he kind of committed to himself through the yeah. form of beer and yeah. drinking um, yeah. and how that kind of came up in very, like, subtle ways. Like, they were not, like, uh, felt like a huge moment, but it was just like, oh, I'm going to grab a beer. Or I'm gonna grab a beer out of the refrigerator, or I'm gonna, and if and feel like it wasn't like beer each time it was beer, then it was buzz, and it was you know like these different things. And so, um, I know from my own experience and kind of seeing alcoholism play out in my own family and my own life, um, those are big moments. But I felt like you wrote it in a very subtle way. Uh, why? Because I think I think that side of it is so more how life really is so if mm. you're living with somebody with the issue it just is it, mm. and so it's like the wallpaper and so commenting on it you don't talk about the wallpaper every day yeah you know, wallpaper is there mm. and you know and then someday somebody punches through the wall and maybe yes. you go oh i'm i'm never gonna be able to replace that wallpaper but like yeah when you're living with somebody who's in an addictive place or and in an unspoken place yeah. because i i think nobody was talking like the fish tank when i finally figured out about the fish tank that was like when i this is the first story i felt like i actually got the pieces to work all together yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and i was just going to bring that up next was you know sort of the last piece of powerful symbolism that really stood out to me was just like the symbolism of the fish, right? You, you know, and it, the way it builds is just so magical. I think sort of starting it off with like, I'm just throwing bills in, in an empty aquarium, um, you know, like as I'm walking through to sort of seeing the flashback of um, their fishing trip um, and kind of seeing Robert catch those first fish uh, or his first fish, and then how the fish kind of clumped together in the bathtub. Um, and so I was like, I thought the resurface of fishing and the meaning that it had to the to the family, um, it was like the thing that kind of held them all together. So I just would love to just hear more your about your thoughts or writing process and like how you kind of came to that. How did you figure out like this would be the kind of the glue that kind of keeps them together or the glue? Because I, I was I, I was I, I was really lucky and I had read a story from a poet named Mark Nepo and he had written he'd written this story about fish staying in the bathtub in one end when they were cleaning the fish tank. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that 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 especially when I ran it through the child's mind, Robert's mind, is mm -hmm. like he was like there's glass in the water, like mm -hmm. he could see he could see what was wrong, 
mm. in a way that his dad couldn't see. His, pro- his father probably wouldn't even have noticed that the fish had stayed at one end of the bathtub while they were changing the tank mm. in this freshwater tank. And, and it was just the freedom and meaning and that the meaning of our lives, like the language and the fish kind of go together. It's like trying to hook the meaning and the meaning's always slipping away or it gets trapped and glassed away. So language yeah. and the fish became, became sort of the meaning, but the, the, the relationship between the father and the son and the love that yes. they have for each yes. other, because they really love each other. I mean, they, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. They love each other in that kind of way, that damaged way that happens when you're growing up yeah. with addictive Yep, and they have so much in common, and I just saw myself so much in the story, and just, um, yeah, I truly enjoy reading it, so thank you so much for Oh, sharing. no, thank you. Um, I want to ask a couple more um, questions. Sure, sure. One is, I know that we have some students listening, because I'm going to assign this story, um, oh, cool. is uh, just like what it means to be a writer and what it means to have a writing process. Because, and I, I you know, you talked a little, a little bit earlier about kind of how the shift towards what good writing looks like. And I think uh, what I try to get my students to understand is that the first draft doesn't mean that you're done. The first draft just means that you're just getting started with something good. You know what I'm saying? No matter yeah, how short yeah. or long the yeah. actual draft is. So could you just kind of speak to your experience as a writer and sort of what that yeah. process looked like to you? So I think, so, so because I was dyslexic, but not diagnosed. So because I was always told I was stupid when I handed in an English assignment, because mm-hmm. I failed a lot of tests. I failed a lot of writing tests when I was applying for work. Yeah. I failed a lot of, uh, I had a lot of copy thrown back at me uh, with it literally in the newsroom where it would get thrown back at me. And I, 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 um, I, I was the stupid one in the class. And so wow what was good about being called stupid all your life is it's made me a really, really good listener. Being a good listener is part of being a good writer and a good journalist, because what I'm listening for is what isn't being said. Mm-hmm. So the person is telling me the story and I'm listening, but what I'm really listening for is what they're not telling me that I, I know is there and I'm looking for that gap. And so good writing sort of creates the sentences that you, the reader, you get to decide what's happening in the gap. You decide how Robert relates to his dad. You decide whether Anne's a nice mom or not a nice mom. <laughs> you see that Robert's younger brother, Sam, has a different life because yes. he can read and reading yes. comes easy to him. Mm-hmm. And what do you do if you're growing up in a family where having a difficulty isn't supported right. or isn't discussed right. and it's lonely? Yeah. Yes. And so writing, writing is for me, it's been a huge gift. Uh, I, I got paid to write, which was fantastic, but it wasn't, I wasn't a natural at it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I got in a lot of trouble because I couldn't spell and mm-hmm. it was very embarrassing a lot of the time. Yeah. A lot yeah. of the time, actually. Yeah. I hear that in your family, it may not be reading, you know, that yeah. decides whether you're smart or not. Um, it may be something else. Um, yeah. and so kind of, that's what I love most about writing is that you're writing um, with the intention that you get to decide, but then also it's so cool to see 
when you're building the complexity, how readers get a chance to take something new and different. So, from... so a writer writes the story, but a reader finishes it. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So, 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 so the journey as a writer is to, so it's very writing for broadcast news. So let's say I was writing for CBS like I used to. Yeah. So I had to write sentences that were clear enough that 25 million people could hear the sentence and get the same meaning from it without confusion. So okay. that's a different, that's kind of, that's why news writing can sound so weird sometimes because it's mm -hmm. so like stripped down. Yes. And what's beautiful about fiction is that the character's inability to see something or their obsessions mm. can be the way the language is described. So it's much more how we live. And, and, and I think it's really important for any writer to know that mistakes tell a story that we need to know. And so whether it's a mistake on your character's part, whether it's a mistake you feel you're making as a writer, oh, I can't tell the story, I don't know how to do, actually keep going towards yeah. the mistake and, and see what you learn there. Because what you learn there will be the energy that, that works the story. And don't be afraid of making mistakes. That's the other thing. I, 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 went to, I taught a class one time with some really sweet kids and I brought in like a piece that had been published yeah. right before it had been published and it was just covered in red marks i mean just completely covered and i said to the kids what do you think the teacher what do you think they said about the story and they're like oh. yeah and they all handed it around and then in the back it said fantastic story can't wait to publish it mm. and i said don't worry about making mistakes because i think a lot of writers don't write a lot of kids are frightened of writing because because people judge them Yes. So I've been te teaching a couple of courses and it, this has been really fun, actually. If the kids don't know each other that well, what I did is I have a bag of words mm -hmm. and then everybody picks five words and then you make three sentences from those five words and then you pass the words to the right. And then you go around the table and everybody has written like 10 sentences and everybody gets to read their one best sentence because they didn't pick the words and everything's been imposed on them. They yeah. are liberated from judgment. Yes. Because writing and judgment, it's, it's not a comfortable thing. Being Ugh. a teacher of writers, it's really hard. Yes, yes. And I just was saying this to myself and to some friends recently. It's just like, I grew up loving writing. Um, I fell in love with, with writing probably in fourth grade because I had a teacher who allowed us to write um, a narrative story about anything that we wanted and as a horror lover as a lover of scary movies and scary things i wrote a story about a young boy who was left at home alone while his mom ran to the store and he hears this like very scary noise coming from the dark basement that he never goes into and so he decides to investigate and there's a lot of suspense building only for it to be like a radio that didn't um that wasn't turned off when his mom went down to wash the clothes, wash clothes. And so like, it, but it was that moment of re revising and publishing like, Oh, it was like incredible. But as I grew up um, specifically in college, um, I was just like, I don't feel good enough to write. Um, and I knew and writing on other people's like terms also felt like, it's hard, hard for me right it's like it's hard you have yeah. to write and you have to write by this deadline and it has to be strong and you have to go through your writing process and i was just like yeah and then like getting it back and 
you know, this wasn't red ink. It was just like red Google Docs, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Comments, which I think is probably worse. <laughs> but, I think it's worse. Um, like, turn those off. Like, that should be like in yeah. creative writing classes that, oh, that should hell. be not allowed. Oh, my gosh. It was terrible. And so, like, I just, I sort of have internalized, like, fear of writing. And so the podcasting. So, so, go ahead. So, so that fish, those fish in the bathtub, that's yeah. that moment. Yep. Yep. That's me. Yeah, that is That's me. all of us. Yeah. It's all of us. Yeah. It's all of us. But I think the beauty, the, the beauty in all of it is that there's always a blank page, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Which means that there's a chance for us to do something new each time. There's a chance for growth. Um, and there's a chance for us to always like bring our true and authentic selves forward, whether they are misspelled words or... Um, short sentences or figurative language or not or or, or whatever we still have the power um, of the pen and I think that yeah. that like we all have that equally yeah so it's fantastic um I would like to play a very short game um called big questions okay but they're not really questions they're more like fill in the blank so I'm gonna okay. say a sentence and you fill in the blank okay okay um more writers should tap dance Mm. more teachers should fall in love with their students more schools should believe in themselves mm. more countries should calm down and be kind last one more people should love one another yay that was cool <laughs> thank you so much oh again. thank you no you've been so inspiring i feel so inspired <laughs> I, I saw your tweet inspired. go by and i was like yeah i've got a story yeah i've got a story <laughs> i really appreciate you sharing it with 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 me uh, thank you everyone for listening all I'm right here with evelyn lee thank you so much evelyn so y'all got to let me know what you think. Was this something y'all enjoyed? Is this something y'all want to hear again? I had a blast reading this and editing this um, and interviewing. That's my first like podcast interview ever. Um, so let me know what y'all think by tagging me on Twitter and Instagram and all those places at President Pat or at GoodTrouble.media. Also, check out our website. We have a new website, um, www.stayingoodtrouble.com www.stayingoodtrouble.com and if you have a story that you've written that you want me to read send it to me um, at info at good trouble media no that's not it if you have a story or you know an author that you want me to reach out to shoot me an email at info at good trouble dot media the email is info at good trouble dot media and I will see y'all next week Stay good, stay strong, stay healthy. Love y'all.